Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this month we are bringing you voices from the underground. Riding in the wind filled with exhaust fumes, I see you in search of your intelligence, trying to tame that intellect that didn't even exist, caught between the lost lands of rebounds and rap music, not knowing what it means to be free, because that ghetto thing got your tongue. But them brothers, they love you for that hardcore thing. Is this the taste and choice of the time? Is this the profession? No bad when you're back to no books under your arm. That was a clip from Underground Episodes, a spoken word theater piece where every episode takes place on the SEPTA, also known affectionately to locals as the Philadelphia Subway. Those of you familiar with urban underground transportation, you know the tendency for intimate journeyship or even the slightest physical adjustment can affect a fellow rider. In a theatrical sense, every subway car is another possible venue for the playing out of some chapter of a stranger's life. Underground Episodes is the brainchild of Alan Clark, a poet and a writer with a Bachelor of Science in Social Work, and this project was 10 years in the making. Underground Episodes and its cast of 13 recently wowed audiences at the 2016 Ithaca Fringe Festival, where it was awarded both audience pick and the Andrew Dixon Award. Alan was gracious to consent to an interview, and we began, as we usually do on this program, because it tends to make the most sense, at the beginning. Let's go back to the basics on this one. Let's, let's, let's give the honor. Why from the subway? Because these are all stories about humans that could be told anywhere, but you chose the subway. Why is that? Well, um, it would come from actually what I do every day is ride the bus and the train. So every day I'm uh, looking and observing people. Uh, as a poet, um, a lot of my stories that I wrote as poetry to go and get on the microphone was all about what I saw and what was going on in my head. So and it all partook right there on the train. So gaining those stories from that it eventually evolved into characters and stories from these characters that I would see that 10 years later turned into underground episodes. Um, yeah, it was a lot of work. Um, when you're called Brother Train, it only makes sense to do something about the train. Uh, Did most of these characters that we've seen in this particular show come to you on the train, or yeah. are these folks that came from other places in life and no. you just decided to put them there? No. Um, these are people that I've actually seen on the train. Um, like, for instance, the story Uncle was an actual story of me talking to an older guy who was a Vietnam veteran who was talking to me about losing his eyesight uh, in Vietnam and seeing a young man next, right, not the same day, but a young guy who was crying really about his brother being lost in war, two different wars. Myself had, I had my own personal story to add to that, which was the fact that, um, I was going to go in the military at one point in time, um, being a kid from New Jersey. Um, that was my thing. I was, um, uh, going to uh, Fort Dix every weekend with my class. And we heard real stories about the military and, and what goes on. Nothing about making a lot of money. Stories were, were war torn. Guys were hurt. Guys are crying. You know, we're hearing real soldiers talk about real life in the military. This is not no place to be in. And if you're expecting to, you know, enjoy life and 
think you're going to be living a party, you, you're fooling yourself. This is what they were talking to me about and a bunch of other students. And then moving to Philadelphia um, and being approached by, um, uh, what do you call them? The guys that want to re- recruiters. A recruiter in uh, high school and the recruiter when he came in, in fact, it was three of them that came in and what they talked about was the opposite. They tried to make it all sound like it was the best damn thing since sliced bread. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to meet a lot of women, you know, trying to drum up these kids to really want to join the military. But it wasn't the reasons that you really should be putting it out there like that. And for me as a minority child and that's where it came from because my schooling in New Jersey it was very diverse mm-hmm. and when I Where in New Jersey did you grow up? Sicklerville, New Jersey. Out there, you know, in Sicklerville, it was cool. It was like living actually it was like twenty one jump street life. You know, you had mm-hmm. the, the cops constantly busting these kids for meth and all that other crazy stuff back then. But it was a good life. I loved it. That's where I got actually introduced into musicals. You know, kids I was living around, um we're doing Grease every day. <laughs> doing kids every day singing Grease songs. I used to hate it, hate it. But hey, Grease like that. Yeah, every day, every day. Well, I hated it. I yeah. really did. I mean, I saw the movie a lot of times, but uh, to be outside in the street doing that with them was not my thing. I was like, no, nah, not the brother. I can't do that. But you know, I grew up really loving musicals. But anyway, back to uh, the story. Um, uh, Uncle. It touched me when they talked about it here in Philadelphia, and it was, you know, the old total opposite story. So when I wrote it, it was about that being that you don't tell nobody that story. You don't you don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. And I only have one uncle. My uncle is named Otez. So it being about the story about uncle, meaning uh, Uncle Sam, Mm -hmm. uh, in the end, I always let it be known. I only have one uncle and his name ain't Sam, you know, because. And they say, my uncle wants me. Well, I only got one uncle. And his name ain't To me, uh, uncle, and it's, the story itself is, it's, it's across all genres and people, you know. It has no color. It really doesn't. It's the story that anybody can relate to. I actually had a guy named Hank that, I really wanted to play the part of this Vietnam veteran, but he didn't. But I'm very happy with um, whom I have, which is Kevin. Kevin plays it, and he play, Kevin Jones, excuse me, to be exact. And he plays it very well. He does do an extremely good job with that part. Yeah, very well. Um, he, he knocks it out the 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 park, you know. And it's good to say that he follows up after um, Daryl Shanks, who originally had that part, and Daryl actually saw him. Uh, do it on a Saturday night in Philadelphia. And in fact, um, all the veterans, including the young lady sitting here, came out that night and saw a number of the people, uh, the newbies, doing pieces that they originally had. Mm-hmm. And they were really taken by them. Uh, they liked what they saw. So I was happy with that. It really cool. made me happy to watch the, the, the newbies being able to step up and seeing my veterans, you know, embrace them. Right. Let me let me drop back to something you started talking about before with the recruiters, because you were talking. You were saying that you were hearing the true stories about what happened in war, about the crying, the screaming, all that stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. coming coming from the guys who'd been there and come back. You're getting mm-hmm. the true story. Then all of a sudden the recruiters come in, and they're in their dress uniforms, yeah. and they look spiffy, yeah. and 
they're handing you, you're going to make money, money, you're going to do this, you're going to do money, the other thing. Travel. Right. Stories that have did, nothing to do did, with yeah. the military. How did you reconcile that? I mean, what what did you think at that particular point? I got pissed off. I really did. I got pissed off with it. The fact that you were lying to these kids. Um, and I'm one of these kids, so I didn't appreciate being lied to. And I actually said something to them. I said, when are you going to tell us the truth? What are you talking about? Well, that's not what I learned about the military. And I just walked out the classroom because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't appreciate that at all. I really didn't. It really, it really hurt me um, mm-hmm. as a person because I really was going in the military. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. I was going to go into the Army. I was really going to go in the Army right out of high school. And when you see and hear that happen to a lot of young male and female um, uh, minority kids, then they just going in because someone talking to you about it like that, they turn it into basically a, a good party, like a TV show worth being on. And it's not that. It is not that. So it hurt me. Because millions. Millions are born just like me. Homeless trolley fighting, twisting in the wind, caught between the middle of North and West, and as a man in all three, read A-R-M-Y. He stands before scores of lords, and he's saying, my uncle wants me. He wants to teach me things I would never do. Take me to places I would only dream of going to. An adventure of a lifetime. An experience of a decade. But he forgets to leave out about the parts about losing mind states. Losing identity in the middle of stress. There is no rest! That was was it. But again, uh, all these stories come from a place of realism. They come from me seeing people. Uh, uh, Paradise, um, which is uh, about a homeless person. That's me actually seeing a homeless person on a daily basis uh, who would get on a train and, um, you know, ask people for money. I mean, this is any city. Any city. But homeless people on trains are ubiquitous. They're all over the place. So to have someone get on a train and constantly asking people for money and the way people would shun a, a homeless person and act like, you know, they stink or they got problems and they're scratching on themselves. You know, in, in the end, mm-hmm. you know, they're just as human as you and I. They have they have maybe in this situation, but they didn't start this way. And um, then I flipped the story where, you know, what if this person actually talked to you about what was going on with them? And how they feel about everything that, you know, they are going through as far as being homeless and how they're treated. And that's where that story comes from, because I've watched people treat homeless people like the crap, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not cool. So that whole story is made off of that th- whole thought process. Yeah, she played the homeless person. She actually was very phenomenal. Well, let's, let's, let's talk to Kalia for a moment. Come on. Okay, so um, my name is Kalia Whitehead, and um, I'm just going to get a little personal. Um, <clears throat> during the time he asked me to do the role, um, I was actually homeless myself, and I'm a single mother. Wow. Um, so I had just moved into the house. Yeah, yeah I was staying with my grandmother. Um, I had a job as a school teacher, and that wasn't the issue. It was um, no apartments wouldn't allow me to 
um, move into, I, I think like I had a backed up, someone was using like electric in my name. So when you have mm. like those type of um, discrepancies on your credit, they were like a stolen you. identity kind of thing. Well, it was, ugh. I was living in an apartment that had black mold. We called LNI. It failed inspection and I broke my lease. I had two months left. Gotcha. So I went right into um, my friend's sister. Um, her house was going into foreclosure, but I decided to roommate with her to mm-hmm. save the house. It ended up not going through. Um, so when I moved out that apartment, I did not cut the utilities off. So whoever moved, the next tenant that moved in, gotcha. just ran it up and didn't change it in their name. So when it was time for me to move into my own place, um, huge both bill, electric I mean. and oh, yeah, like over $2,000 for both. How did you reconcile that or did you? Um, well, once you open up a new account yeah. with the electric and gas, they allow you to do installment payments, but mm-hmm. you have to pay that past balance plus your current, current gotcha. usage. Yeah. Um, but someone gave me a chance. And I have a pride thing. I don't like to ask anybody for anything because I feel like it would be thrown up in your face. But as much as I needed mm-hmm. the help, you know, even down with these people, I'm like, just give me a chance. Like, I have a job. They wouldn't look at that. So I had to kind of relate. To be in tune with that part, I had to relate to my own personal issue. And then there was some wording in there, like things I never heard of, like um, the warlords and the mola, um, what was it? The, warlocks. The warlocks and the mole people. Yeah. I didn't really know what that was. And I kept saying, like, I have an issue. Can you just do the part? I wanted to kind of mimic and be that... Mechanical actress. But Are we talking H.G. Wells reference here? No. Actually, <clears throat> I'm a big comic book fan of the X-Men. Okay. Gotcha. So the Morlocks, the Mole People, uh, it all came from the the uh, apocalypse issues that were going on in the comic books at that time. And I learned a lot of my vocabulary, really, from just reading comic books. Yeah. And I'm a very metaphoric person. I can. I, it's, listening to the show, the poetry comes out. It's lyrical after lyrical after lyrical. And there are moments when several characters intertwine this lyricism into this... I, I liken it to like a, a rolling sea of thoughts and emotions and waves. And you get lost in the rhythm, and you don't even hear the words so much sometimes as you get carried along with the story and the emotions. And it's—I want to—I was definitely going to get to that, but it was a beautiful thing that just—it just rocked me as, as soon as I heard it. I just kind of went with it. Mm-hmm. All right, so you were homeless. Yeah. So um, these diff- these words <laughs> that wasn't in my vocabulary or. You know, I, I asked him, I said, can you please just record it so I can see how it's done? He would not do it. So do it. I had to self-educate and I had to research and find out what a Morlock was, what was a mole person. And they were very ugly and they like lived under the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't they eat people or was that the... No. And then there was another one um, when you talked about the, the Byberry. Insti- oh, Byberry Institution. I used to work with adults with autism. Okay. And we used to watch like um, the city, the training on the services that no longer exist. Yeah, uh, that's actually the Byberry was a building that was in Philadelphia. You like know, a, mes- a lot like of a mental institution, a mental institution, and mm-hmm. all the mental institutions basically, as you know, they got rid of a lot of them. Right. In fact, yes. they got rid of all of them. And when they shut them down, the majority of everyone that was out in the streets were from these institutions. Right. So they didn't help anybody. They hurt them in the worst possible way. They put them on the street. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people don't know. But what you're seeing on the street are people that need real help. 
but I actually watched a video from my training when I was working with the adults with autism. And so I kind of, I was familiar with that, but I went in and watched a video and they had like a news reporter in the actual mental institution. Mental institution. I mean, they were talking about the smell because they had feces everywhere, like mm -hmm. smeared on the wall. The ratio for staff and um, staff to, to uh, residents was like very, very low. low. You had like and the reporter was he was crying. He's like you. He's like I know it looks hard, but you have to be here to see it. So, and then I would watch a lot of homeless people on the train, and then I that's how I end up creating my character for the piece. The characters I've seen in underground episodes are heartbreaking. A lot of them. They are. They're. 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 They're, they're, they're real. <laughs> You know, it's no. I'm laughing because people say um, this is this is good, but depressing. Did you mean to write stories that were just like really this deep on people's minds? I mean, this is real. This yeah, is, but you're. I mean, but it's, it's you're not, telling it's, the truth about things. Truth, you're bringing you know, real people to to. And, and I'm not telling it to be depressing because really the stories have uh, some joy to them, but it's it's. Thought joy. Yeah. It's, it's you see the bright light at the end of the tunnel type of thing. You know, people getting themselves together, people moving on. Um, story that you in particularly like um, concerning um, Desiree Bush, who's the dancer and um, yes. the last yeah, dance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, she and, and Nicole Spain, and, who's doing a phenomenal job, just showing you the facial expressions mm -hmm. of, of of a woman. Who is going into uh, uh, dementia? A, a states of Alzheimer's and dementia. Remembering her herself as this on point, beautiful ballet dancer, just out. Oh, and to see the memories before your eyes as she danced is—it's what I, I, I envision as a capturing moment. Um, and actually, those are stories that I I know because. I work in long-term care. I've actually met three people. Two of them were women that worked uh, that were Rockettes, mm -hmm. okay. um, and one of them died. Uh, uh, it was maybe a year ago. A year ago, um, uh, she was in the Alzheimer's and dementia unit, and just watching her just deplete was sad. But I wrote this way before that. But you know. Um, I've seen these people over time due to, due to my job and to bring that story to life. Um, I actually knew of a woman that was very fair skinned and it just came to me. Now that story is a history lesson of fighting a segregation of, 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 of a, as a woman trying to get into a ballet and you know they didn't have black people in a ballet at one point in time because she's, she's talking about major companies and then crossing over into you know modern dance and Alvin Ailey this is a history lesson every time I, I actually got into the the, the um, words and the performance of it I would think about Debbie Allen for instance, or, or Josephine Baker and mm -hmm. people like that um, that are, uh, that are still around or have moved on, um, in you know, in cross reference to the storyline and how they would probably look at it because it's a it's a history lesson and now we have you know a young black ballerina as of now that everyone can look up to and relate to and understand a story of of, of pride and where. She comes from, it was, you notice the voice that I am portraying is of a woman who is, her demeanor is so, so elegant about it. So 
it's just a story I like. I really like it. But it came from that uh, that job, knowing that I worked in that section and then gaining that, yeah. you know. But again, these stories are all some things that I have seen on a train or I have uh, definitely put together. You haven't even gotten to, and I it's not there right now, um, Bully. Um, Bully is a story, um, a young man, um, Rob Wilson, who's not in it this year. But um, How, just uh, let me break for a second. How many years have you been doing the show? Um, three years. Okay. Three years. Twenty fourteen, first time we did the Fringe Festival in Philadelphia. That's when I did it with my cousin Terrence Tyrone, um, and with the young ladies Brittany and L'Oreal, and we all came together and made Underground. I mean, Run Boy Run production. That was actually Naja who came up with it. My my uh, goddaughter. Mm-hmm. She said, "Won't you call it Run Boy Run production?" Because of a line that's inside of Mental Labor of Slavery is saying, "Run Boy Run." Right. I just wanted to make it. You gotta join this chain gang and Run Boy Run. <laughs> Get me my car. And don't forget my shirt. Run, run boy, run, run to get that trash. It ain't gonna clean itself. Run, run, run boy, run. run. Why haven't you checked my messages yet? Run, run boy, run. run. You want a raise? That raise will come someday. Run, run boy, run. run. I need to say overtime. But it ain't counting. And it's overtime. Run, run, run boy, run. run. So the phone place my order? Hey, guess what? It's not Run, run boy, run. run. Away from the madness that continues to introduce you to my uncle Sam. Run, run boy, run. run. catchy i thought it was catchy and we ran with it from there so run boy run productions was formed off of that um so let's get back to bully (laughs) bully uh that story is about a young man who uh gets on the train and uh he's uh telling his tale of how um he was being bullied by uh others his girlfriend his friends and it's both physical mental cyberbullying and he going through and he told his parents uh he told teachers and everyone and no one would ever listen um and then they finally listened when he was about to he had enough and basically was about to beat one of the kids down um but they saw it as he was bullying someone else mm. and and that takes me to the stories of you know um uh columbine um, or any other story involving kids on a mass killing, because um, what we don't understand about it is half of the time, half of these kids, they got mental issues due to they, their issues come from being bullied. Mm-hmm. They come from being bullied and they can't take it anymore. So it's like, who's paying attention to them? Don't look at them like they just, you know, these kids are just going rampant and just killing the world. Something bullying happened. is something that 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 schools and parents do not know how to deal with. Have they never know how, never, never known know. how to deal with. Never. And all these kids who are the victims of it got nowhere to go, nobody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And if you're being bullied, then there's something wrong with you. Right. 
because you are allowing this to happen. Absolutely, yeah. You better get back with them. You better tell them what to do. You better hit them. That's always the answer. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the answer. Listen, go and go into the school, talk to someone, you know. But that's not how it's ever uh, been taken care of. So you know, that's where that story comes from. Like this, the show has sixteen, fifteen, fifteen, sixteen stories alone. Lost Soul Syndrome. Three young men getting on the train. One of them is a worker uh, who yeah. actually works for his, uh, SEPTA. Uh, talking to three young men, and in this case, I got, I switched it up to a young young women right. uh, who are ratchet and off the chain themselves, and and you know think that it's okay to act a fool. So you know these guys uh, uh, are talking to them about getting your life together. something that you have to point out to kids and uh, they don't really want to listen but at some point in time they will so when I made that it was in you know it was in reference to not everybody is a person that won't listen you know you have to you have to stand your ground as an adult and start be not beating the story into them but getting them to listen giving the story to them because a lot of people won't bother to give the story to them and you're not going to reach every single kid, but you might reach some. Right. And if you noticed, even as uh, the guys, you know, go through their story right after that, uh, uh, Natira uh, Bickle, she does a, a phenomenal job as one of the ratchet girls. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal job, uh, you know, acting like, you know, she's ratchet. And then right behind that, you, you've got Tasha who gets up there and talks about, you know, uh, through movement, her story of being a mother with a child that she just can't stand due to a man that she has in prison. So she mm-hmm. she and yeah. and 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 Jenna who, who Jenna Randell her right. daughter in this you know who may annoy her mother but that's a real story it happens every day on a train on a bus or walking a mother who who just just doesn't like being with her kid or ignores her kid or or yells at her kid and and sometimes it leads to those reasons because mm-hmm. their child reminds them of a man that they once were with. It has nothing to do with that. It's about your life. Getting it together, turning to that child, and understanding you need to still raise this child. That was one of the lines on the show that night that stuck with me. And there's a bunch of them that stuck with me, but that was, I think, the first one. It was, I got things to do. <laughs> and I'm thinking the implications of that. And I just wonder if she knew exactly what those things that she had to do were. But it felt like she was 
trapped and looking for an exit someplace and she's got things to do and she's desperately searching but i'm not quite sure she knew what she was searching for she didn't it wasn't until she started to really focus on what it is that she's really need to do not about she knew she was involved with a guy that was wrong. She mm-hmm. knew she's, in, uh, you know, getting things from his friends that she didn't need. She's she's paying attention to all of that, but then she realized after you taking shots and bullet bullet fire. Come on, my life is worth more than this. Mm-hmm. Going to take my kid to visit a man in a prison for what? He's not trying to really look after me or my child. For what am I doing this? And then I you know, have her focus on the true meaning of everything for me is I got to get my life together for my child. There's no disrespect to a man who's in prison. No, but every situation is different. And in this situation, this is hers. This is hers. And she's got to do something. Something. And the something is give my life together for my child. And as you notice, those three stories alone, they intertwine. Dominic, and Mm -hmm. that's... um, who plays the young man who's working on the train. That's um, Vince, who plays the police mm-hmm. officer on the train, and Kevin, who's the teacher. Haven't you, you heard? Know. Only you can make you. you. <laughs> and that, that, that totally resonated, because you repeated it several times. The, the, the thing is, I was actually one of those kids and um, that was a hardhead. Yeah. So to write that is also speaking on my own story and to understand that don't blame anybody else. Don't say it's a white man holding you back. Some things are about you holding your own self back. Mm-hmm. Get your life together. Stay on course and do better for you. So that's where it all comes from. And, and you know, I love it. Um, you know, uh, that follow-up, which is what um, Mental Labor of Slavery. Um, great story there. You know, it's actually involving anybody's job. Um where uh, Alicia and Vince again and Mark and uh, they tell the tale of what their life is like working and how we as people, we have jobs that hold us back and hold us down. You're making not really any kind of wage. Your boss is constantly on your back. It's like it's as if it's a new form of slavery. It's more mental than it would ever be physical because mm-hmm. it's all about you never getting ahead. Truly never getting ahead. Somebody always saying, you need to do this for me. You need to do that. You're not part of the team because you're not doing what I need you to do. So. Get me my car. Don't forget my I live in that world. I work in that world. And as you know, that's why I became a writer. I just started writing my play. I didn't get the job I was supposed to. I'm off. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not there anymore where I'm letting someone hold me back. I'm not there in that mental state anymore. That slave zone is gone. Yeah. I'm now moving to be my own man. So, you know, that's where that came from. Uh, following up with, uh, what's that? Um, uh, man, man's mentality. Uh, no, no, what is it? Um, Mascara Part 2, which follows up after that, where uh, Dez is uh, with her man. And normally it's played by Henderson Seely. It just happens to be I've been filling in for him as of lately. But uh, the story is a, a woman who doesn't respect her man, doesn't oh, care yeah, for him, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. thinks thinks less of him and more of the guys on the street who are hustlers. And, and you know, he's working hard to to provide for her his, and a child. And, ha- and the truth of the matter is 
the first lines from it uh, are are lines from my own life that I interjected in that. Um, a lot of that is from my right. actual life. I got a secret I'm dying to tell. Oh, that's a whole different one. Um, uh, Two Face is a story about a, a, a man and a woman. Uh, the husband is his secret is he's 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 gay. Yeah. Uh, he thought he was keeping it from his wife. And he found her. She saw him on the train. But what he doesn't, does not know is she came on to talk to him. She knows about his secret. She knew everything he did. She knew it all. And she finally found upon time to say, I have to confront you about this. Des and, 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 and Vince, they pulled this off very well. Being that they've only just learned it, really, on the road coming here. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Uh, that's because that yeah, yeah that looked like it had more traction than that. Uh, yeah, they just literally. That's why on that night one, I was like very in awe of what they were doing, and they were nailing it the way I guess watching. Um, because the original players of that is um Mary and um uh, Andrew. Um, and they weren't able to come down. So, you know, you get other people to say, you want to step up, then okay, I'm going to give you that chance. I told them they can go in. If you can do it, knock it out. They, they definitely they stepped up to that one. And I was yeah. surprised. Nicole, um, Nicole Spain, she, you know, the mother in Missing yes. News. Right. Nicole actually did something, too, that was, uh, all right, first off, in Last Dance, playing the mother who's uh, um, the, the, the older woman. Right. Uh, that was new for her because that's not the way the part goes. But right. I mean, You told she me she was substituting for an, uh, an actor who didn't make did, it, yeah. She did a great job with that. But also the opening where she's the comedian and, well, the person mm -hmm. on the train who's trying to get you to buy stuff. Yeah. That's actually something that we did with a young man named Joe DeBoss who's a big comedian who's going around touring and everything but he wasn't able to work with us because he's on tour. Nicole's up and coming, working on her comedy now and also writing her own personal stories. So she jumped at the, the, the opportunity. She said it to me. She wanted to try. And I said, okay. So she's doing it and, uh, and it works. Mm -hmm. you know, so she's, she's liking that. And, and that's another thing I really bank myself on, giving that opportunity and chance to actors um, to, I was just going to say, you, you let your actors or give your actors a lot of chances to try things. I mean, we're talking gender changes. We're talking learning new parts on the way up. Jenna is the youngest of, of the core. Jenna uh, being having a speaking role, mm -hmm. that part originally had none. And uh, she and, and Tasha, uh, what happened is... I said, you know what, Jenna, I want you to confront her the way you would con confront your mom. You know, Alicia Davidson is her mother. And I said, if your mom was annoying you with a conversation, what would you do? And she said, oh, I know what I'd do. So I said, well, think of her as your mother. Go. So them going at it on the train, yeah. that's perfect. It works. It worked. And I, and so Jenna, actually, I let her know uh, next year you get actually a whole part. Yeah, so she's actually going to be yeah. talking about her father. That that's going to be the flip of that story. She talks about yeah. her father, how she he doesn't know her. She met him, and it was like he never knew. You know? Didn't knew she existed. Exactly. Wow. Wow. So that's going to be a part of the story that I really I can't wait for that. That's next year's episode. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> Let me switch gears just a little bit because sure. you made reference to your poetry. And I earlier made reference to the lyricism that 
is runs throughout the play. Practically everything in this play is a lyric or poetic lyric of some kind. Okay, this is an extremely poetic piece. When did you know you were a poet? When did you first start writing? And and where do you hear your voices from? How do you get your voices translated into into this incredible meter that you come up with? Because it's bang, 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 bang. There's always something there that the body can respond to. Let's see. You should see a look on his face. This is great. Uh, I've been always into acting, writing, and the arts and entertainment. Never stayed in one thing. Just before, you know, I did this or any of this stuff, I was a hip-hop artist. So I used to write rhymes and write songs and stuff like that. But when I got into poetry, I flipped everything. I never did anything like I did rhymes at all. So I I don't do that spoken word where everything's rhythmic. I don't do that. I'm a metaphoric person when I speak. Very much so, So, yeah. That's me. And the characterization to make each person, that's just me. That's a that's part of me. Um, I am a character. So as, as USA Network used to say, characters are welcome, that's me. So to create that, when I write them, I become those characters. I don't just give them to anyone. They, those characters are me. Like she wanted to know what this homeless person was like. She wanted to always see it. I never would show her. I don't show anybody what any of these characters are like for me because the truth is they're all a one-man stage show. Right. But no one will ever see it until I'm ready. The only thing I like doing is giving actors that chance. I think that they their take on this is like the most amazing thing and I enjoy it. And the response from the people has been nothing but pure enjoyment as well it it all comes from just being involved i mean i've been doing poetry for over 10 15 years i stopped um because i got into working with my cousins and we were doing uh we went from doing i went from doing open mics to uh doing parties with my cousins and everything and then i went to school and then i went back into writing again and this is what you get um this is me just doing what naturally is part of me that's like my cousin he's like you know he's a photographer but i started that a long time ago and and one thing that i'm i really always tried to do is create a positive image for my cousins because i'm the oldest and um so with that, I always did things that I would feel like they would want to do. Every character comes from life. Me paying attention to people, me being simple and being able to change up my, my own voice and become them. Because when she finally saw me do a homeless person, she was like, oh, oh, that's what I wanted. And I said, nope. I said, nope. And she was like, why didn't you show me this? I said, nope, because you didn't need to see that. For instance, Wes, who does... Uh, um, Honestly, if I would have saw him do it, I would try to mimic that. But I'm glad that I did did it my own way. But after seeing him do it, I was just like, dude, I can't, I can't go after that. That's <laughs> it's, 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 it's a thing. It's a thing that a lot of playwrights and directors won't do is model or mimic something. This is the way I want you to do it because then the actor is going to work off of that. Yeah. And a lot of times, when a good director or a good playwright casts you. They like you. Right. They exactly. want your version of this. And that's a lot harder. And people get annoyed and frustrated. But you almost always come out with something that is inherently organic, genuine. 
All right, and then when you see somebody else do it, you're like, oh, snap. Right. You know, it's, it's yeah. But he, he, he actually taught me something, too, because I'm also a writer, producer, director as well. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but he did not, he ran the play, what, two years after I left mm-hmm. and did not cast anybody for my role because he said he... I didn't want anybody to play. If it wasn't going to be you, really her, I, I just didn't want to, And I didn't want to get up and do it. But we ended up uh, getting a young man by the name of Larry who, who did a great job. He did a phenomenal job on his own. He turned the character the way he saw it. And, and Larry was the same way you were. Like, right, can, you tell me, can you tell me how to do this, that? Right. And I said, nope, this is you. This is you. You do it. And he did it. And he, he made that character very realistic, very funny. Uh, and, it and it was different. Good. Mm-hmm. Because he added the element of, of laughter to the play when it got serious. Then all of a sudden, it was something funny that happens within the midst of it. So each character brings something totally different. Each actor brings something different to the play that I love. The the monologues are one thing because the, they're poetic monologues. That's uh-huh. that's what I had to help them to understand. Redemption. That's what I was. That's where I was going at. Redemption. Uh, Wes Wesley Horn, the, the older guy who's talking about uh, you know being an alcoholic and yes. uh, family, yeah. You know, Wes. Uh, he even asked, "How do I do this?" And I said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to let you come up with this yourself. Wes nails it. It's like, boom. He nails it. But in the, And then he's like, seen me one day doing a little bit of it. He was like, yo, man, if I would have. And I said, no. That's why I don't do it. Yeah. And, you know, Wes following up from Sherrod, who uh, Sherrod D. Lee is a former member as well. He is a part of the veteran team. And um, Sherrod saw him as well, and Sherrod said he's done a phenomenal job. And that's the stuff that I love, watching the veterans cheer on the new new guys and gals in this. Oh, man, it is something a wonder. It is definitely a wonder. I'm, I'm very happy for all of them. They call the UE family, the UE family, because Underground Episodes is not just some thing that's going to happen now and it's gone and uh, we have a group that everybody's in and they talk all day and they know about everything amongst each other you know I really wish uh, like uh, you know you've seen uh, one half of Missing News the other half of that would be Carolyn and Carolyn Keys she does a phenomenal job she wasn't able to be here but uh, I would have loved for you to have seen that, you know, the African-American mother and then the, the Latino mother both because it's a battle for uh, they're competing for attention concerning their children. And that's all written from a fact case of what you see and what you don't. For years, television showed uh, um, kids that were not minority um, no, they showed, yeah, they showed kids that were not minority um, as missing. The only way you found out about missing children that were minority um, was through um, papers being handed out or plastered up on something. And that was very She stepped on me because 
whole story comes from that. Um, You're still writing these stories? Yeah, I'm still writing. I'm writing new stories for next year. Um, my goal is to uh, have it as something that can continuously run in Philadelphia mm-hmm. to give the give a lot of actors and actresses a chance that they never got before. You know, a lot of people run straight to, you know, wanting to start some organization and company for just kids. I want it for people that never had the chance, period, who thought about it but never really went for it. And then they finally see a chance that someone's going to give them. Because my platform, I have actors that are from film, from theater, po- uh, poetry, people who read, read their own poetry, and actors that, and people that never did acting at all. Non-actors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that gumbo suit that you see on stage yeah. mm-hmm. is because of that. So then they're all cheering each other on, helping each other out, making sure everybody you know does well. I think and audiences react so well to that when they see a range of experience. Because you can tell when somebody's been doing the acting thing for a while and they're wow. polished and it's almost not noticeable. And then you see somebody up there who's given it their all but they don't have that seamless integration of thought, heart, but you can see them up there doing the best thing they can. And part of you just kicks in. It's like, go, do it, yeah, you know? And it builds a sense of community, I think. You feel better about the entire show because it is open-ended and it is open opportunity. And it's as you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's something that gives people a chance, which is... Really, all I think any of us really need sometime. Alan Clark, this has been great. Thank you so much for being here and talking about a play that really moved me, Underground Episodes. It's been running for a while. It's going to keep on running. I I hope so. George, I just want to say thank you. Um, Thank your Ithaca community. Thank the Ithaca Fringe Festival for allowing us to come out here. And really, you and I talking all this time. We are thrilled to have you. We've been working on this for over a a year. A year, man. It's really so worth it. It's worth it. You know, I'm like really, every time I think about it, it's like so funny how we set that stone so long ago and now we're here. And Kalia Whitehead, thank you so much, too, for joining in on the conversation. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure as well. So, hot mess. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly. All of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest, or work in a part of theater that we haven't covered yet, or know of someone in the theater world who'd make good chat, send us a note, info at OnStageOffStage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Good, Surf Fast by the composer Steve Channon. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. I'm George Sapio. Thanks once again. And happy theatering to all of you.